0: Hi, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. We are joined today by Luke Williams, professor of innovation at NYU Stern School of Business, founder of Idea Skills, and author of the book Disrupt. Luke is gonna be joining us on stage at Finnovate Fall this coming September. Luke, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Thanks, Greg. Pleasure to be
0: here. So obviously, we don't want to give too much away. You want to learn more about what Luke is going to be talking about. You should come and see us at Finnovate Fall. But for those of our audience who haven't heard you before, heard of you before, I should say, can you start by just giving us a quick background on yourself and what
1: brings you to the various crossroads that you find yourself now? Yeah, sure. Well, as, as your listeners can tell, I'm not from around here. So I, I grew up in Australia. And my background is industrial design, so product design. And Australia a great career for marketing products that have been made elsewhere. But I really wanted to get a seat at the table where the decisions on these products were being made. So basically, I cut off my left arm or would have cut off my left arm to get over to America to start working for some of these bigger brands. And um, I did that. I started working for a company called Frog Design, which got famous doing a lot of work for, first of all, Sony with Sony Walkman. And then that attracted a young guy called Steve Jobs. And he wanted the same success for a company he was starting called Apple. And uh, so he brought the company that was doing the work for Sony over to America. And that's how Frog got started. So there were... Quite famous in the product design game, and I had a tremendous career there as a creative director, and then got involved in education when I moved to New York. NYU was looking to put more innovation in the MBA curriculum, and um, so I started a course there and joined the faculty um, full time. and Have been uh, a professor in innovation and design for about the last sort of fifteen years at NYU. And along the way, I wrote a book called Disrupt, uh, which is really putting all these ideas into, you know, practical form that other people can use. Yeah, a lot of interesting experiences there. And
0: certainly it's great to have your um your opinions so well grounded in so many different areas of the innovation ecosystem. I'm really intrigued by the idea that you can teach innovation or at least teach strategies designed to produce disruptive. Uh, unexpected solutions. So obviously, this is something you cover in detail in your book, Disrupt. But can you give us an idea of how you can systemize the process of
1: breaking systems? Yeah, you know, I the, the question I get the most is can you really teach innovation? Which is ridiculous when you think about it. I think innovation is where marketing was about 50 years ago, 50 years ago. Everyone thought marketing couldn't be taught about 50 years ago, but there were people sort of working to codify it and get into a form where it could be taught. And I think we're at that stage with innovation. I always use a cooking metaphor because I find it, it empowering for people that have never thought innovation is sort of their game. But if you look at all the cooking shows on American TV, I mean, we're it seems like we're obsessed with cooking. In fact, actually, we don't like cooking we like watching other people cook but if you the next time you're watching one of these shows look at all the different personalities there's range of ages there's mix of genders every educational background imaginable but none of us doubt that any of these people can cook because we know that cooking is nothing more well then you take the ingredients and you arrange them into a meal And I want people to have the same attitude towards innovation. I define ideas as the recipes we use to rearrange things, our resources, to create new value and wealth. So I want people to think of innovation like cooking. You're taking the resources you have available. You're seeking a new arrangement of those resources that makes them more valuable. That's what innovation is all about. And that can be taught. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to go watch the movie Ratatouille again
0: based on this. I think that any <laughs> anyone can cook, yeah. right? That's the idea. Anyone
1: can, anyone can cook.
0: Yeah. And exactly. uh, so I think I love I love that analogy. Now, obviously, you know, we're talking about this as being something universal that anybody can do, but are there traits that you look for among your students that make you feel confident that they'll be able to implement your ideas? Are there certain characteristics that you think make people more likely to be successful as innovators?
1: You know, it's an interesting subject. There's always an article on, you know, the five traits that an entrepreneur must have or, you know, the successful traits of innovators. Whenever I see an article like with a title like that, I run the opposite way um because I'm not asking anyone to change their personality, and I think we've been stuck in this cult of personality model of leadership and innovation for a really long time. Uh, Celebrating the likes of Elon Musk and Steve Jobs on the cover of glossy magazines. And, you know, if you read the Steve Jobs biography or read these magazine articles, it's very much about, you know, their behavioral antics, how they acted uh, with different people. So as a result, today, you get a lot of managers who know that innovation is important, want to know how to lead it and they they're going around trying to mimic the personality traits of an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs and i just think this approach is is just ridiculous innovation leadership does not have anything to do with your personality. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, it doesn't matter. It's about learning the process, learning the tactics, learning the techniques, and the, like any other skill, the more you practice, the better you get. I will say, though, in I teach in America and in uh, I've taught some courses in China. What I found interesting about the Chinese students versus the American students The Chinese students were so excited about innovation. I actually nicknamed them the vibrating students because every time I walked into class, they literally were vibrating with excitement. They've been told that China can't innovate and they're fast followers and all the innovation comes from the West. And they were so excited about this course because it was teaching them you know the tools and techniques and the process and they were so open and eager to embrace that whereas some of the american students we have to work a little bit harder to get them excited and i at times there's an arrogance that comes across thinking well just because you know i'm in this country and we have this culture of innovation this is going, this, you know, makes me by right, an innovator. And there's more resistance to actually learning um, the process and actually embracing the process. So that's been an interesting finding. So what I would say to people is, we're typically pretty bad at innovation. So in order to get better at innovation, just be open to learning as many techniques and tools as you can, It's not a natural ability. In fact, it's quite counterintuitive, most of the skills you need for innovation. So embrace the frameworks, embrace the tools, and actually give them a go. I love that answer. And I think it's something which I've certainly noticed as well,
0: working with a lot of startup founders who come across our stage, the founders who come in who are going to do a live demo and understand that they need to learn something new in order to be successful at that typically do a much better job on stage than the founders who the very first time I talk to them give me the, you know, oh I've totally got this. I'm, I am speak all the time and you see, kind of hear the ego through the phone. And those are the companies that I worry about getting up there on stage and thinking, oh, man, you, you need to learn something here. And I'm worried that you're not going to. Um, and so those I, I can absolutely see that side of it. Um, now, I want to switch gears a little bit because um, I know your expertise goes well beyond the world of financial services. You mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but can you kind of walk through again some of the industries in which you've
1: worked? You know, when I started at Frog, uh, it was very much focused on product design. So a lot of, you know, I started in Silicon Valley, there was a lot of tech products, um, but then... Then an interesting thing happened in anyone involved in sort of innovation consulting and companies like Frog Design and IDEO, uh, those services started getting commodified. So, you know, like, like many other services, people were shipping them sort of overseas and could find industrial designers at a cheaper rate over there. So what happened with companies like Frog Design is clients used to come to us and say, you know, this is the widget we make. We need to design a better widget. But what started happening was that things were growing so complex and th- things were changing so fast in industry after industry. What we had is a lot of clients coming to Frog and saying, you know, we used to make this widget. We still make some of these widgets, but we're not sure if we should continue to make this widget or we're not sure what we should make in the future. So the, ser- the range of services became much more strategic and you know the whole the whole process moved m- much further upstream, as we like to say. So much more strategy was involved, trying to work out you know what these companies should do. So that actually took me out of you know working with a lot of tech companies into working with a lot of companies in every conceivable industry, you know service providers, um, you know people in f- uh, finance companies that I'd never worked f- uh, with before. Uh, because they don't do a lot of technology products. So really, I have worked in you know 30 plus industries in 100 and 120 different countries at the moment. And I typically work with 50 companies a year, everything from startups to fortune, uh, 100 companies. And what that enables me to do is step back and connect the dots. And I can start wow. I can start, because what I find is the executives in one industry are often unaware of the accelerating change in industries other than their own. Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Um, now, I'm going to lob you just the, the biggest softball of all time here. But are there aspects of finance and fintech in particular that make you think they're particularly right for disruption? And I mean, that that's just a tee-off pitch right
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I when I'm talking to every industry, I always look at the foundational concepts that the industry is working with. And what you'll you'll be surprised with when these foundational concepts were conceived. So most of the ideas that people are working with, and remember, the ideas that we're working with, the beliefs that we're working with day in, day out, are behind every action that we take in the business. So there's always an idea or a belief or a foundational concept behind the actions that we're taking. Now, I know we're all obsessed with getting stuff done. But getting stuff done normally means getting stuff done within the assumed boundary of that foundational concept or idea or belief, and many of these ideas were conceived by somebody else in a different age and a different context. So when we look at financial services and banking, you know, we're still working with and within the boundaries of foundational concepts and ideas that were conceived of over at least fifty years ago, and sometimes one hundred years. Now, of course. A lot of things have changed in 100 years. A lot of things have changed in 50 years. A lot of things have changed in the last 10 years. Uh, but the technology changes a lot faster than our foundational concepts. So um, often there is a lag there. So the first thing that I look at, uh, what are what are some of the things we're taking for granted? What are some of the assumptions that have been made around these old ideas and these old concepts, how can we start to break those down before we can even start to consider or have a productive dialogue around new ideas?
0: Yeah, I think that the mentality shift and looking past, you know, the way things have always been done is especially difficult in the financial services space. And in uh, talking with a lot of bankers myself over the years, I've learned that the word disrupt itself can actually be really polarizing. there's a lot of bankers who sometimes hear that word and get this kind of visceral reaction, um, because on the one hand, you know, it means this is something new and exciting. On the other hand, and I think this is how a lot of bankers see it, um, a disruption means costly downtime, legal ramifications, compliance problems, lost customer trust. There's a lot of different things that can happen with this word disruption, that and, and most of them aren't pleasant, I think, from the standpoint of a banker. And so you can sort of see how the industry itself is stuck in some of that old thinking. But... You know, uh, how do you reconcile the idea of disrupting an industry that's historically and I think necessarily averse to
1: risk? Yeah, well, we have to start viewing disruption as a positive and not a negative. You know, there is a myth of disruption that it creates instability, but. That's that's a false narrative. Basically, anyone working in a business is working in a system, and it's a business within an industry, so it's a system within a system. So system dynamics apply. If you've only got a system with one feedback loop, which is a reinforcing feedback loop, which means you're just getting better at doing exactly what you're doing, you're just getting better at doing it a little faster, a little cheaper, and a bit more efficiently, This is this is a single reinforcing feedback loop. Now, in systems that is an unstable system sooner or later those same mechanisms that you know are, are fueling your success are going to flip into reverse and accelerate your decline and this is why we see so many companies that seem like in incredibly dominant positions like Nokia Kodak Blockbuster BlackBerry you name it all of a sudden become irrelevant overnight and sometimes go bankrupt overnight and it's because these same reinforcing mechanism flipped into reverse and accelerated their decline. So in order to grow your business and your industry, even your career in a sustainable way, you need to create stability, a stable system. Stable systems have balancing loops. And in terms of innovation and thinking about the capabilities we'll need for the future, that stabilizing loop is introducing deliberate discontinuity. So ideas that might be inconsistent or in direct conflict with what you're currently doing, what's making you successful right now. And that's what disruption's all about. It's about introducing disruptive ideas to actually strengthen your system, make you more adaptable, um, make you prepared for the, the capabilities that you will actually need for the future. You know, I yeah. often sum that up by saying, you know, a leader's ability to challenge assumptions is more important than their ability to reinforce them. And, and that's that's what it comes down to. So you've got to get into that habit of challenging assumptions, not reinforcing them.
0: No, and I think we've seen over the past couple of years, a couple of really high profile instances where we've all been reminded in very um, painful ways, how fragile many aspects of the current system actually are and how ripe they are for innovation. And I think we've got this moment right now where we're starting to see a reckoning on the part of the industry as a whole saying we need to change. There's an appetite to embrace new technologies that wasn't there even you know five or 10 years ago. And so there's a lot of optimism that you can point to from that, but certainly there are still a of people who are mired in those past ways of thinking. Um, and, and so you know, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to cut it off here. But um, as I mentioned, Luke is going to be joining us at Finnovate Fall in September. He'll be speaking on the 13th, and there will be uh, a networking opportunity after his session. Um, so do come check us out there. Check out the book
1: Disrupt. Um, and in the meantime, Luke,
0: thanks again for taking the time to chat.
1: Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Looking forward to Finnovate in the fall.